Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Thank you, Jeff and band. Good stuff. As I've said before, we should just keep doing that. Uh, that would be good use of our time. Uh, well, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Caleb Holmes. Glad to meet you. I'm the director of students here at uh, Redemption. And uh, like Megan said last week, we took uh, 40 students to uh, Jacob's Ladder right up the street there in Chandler and had a really good time where we uh, talked uh, of, uh, about a really important topic that I'll introduce here in just a second. But uh, what was, uh, as we were talking about it, uh, we realized that this topic actually falls in line a lot with what we've been talking through in Acts, because what we'll see is that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, encounters Jesus and his life suddenly looks very, very different. From there on out, everything changes for him. And we saw that just last week. He's on the road. He's blinded by a light in his life now. From there on uh, out is very, very different. And one of the biggest differences is uh, he is suddenly uh, not, not literally trying to kill people, which is what he was doing. He is loving and caring for people uh, all, all the time. And that was our topic just last week was the idea of love and trying to understand uh, what love is and what love isn't. And so as we were talking about it, we thought, hey, you know what? It would be a good idea for our adults to hear the same thing that our students are hearing. Um, and it fits right in line with what we've been talking about in uh, Acts. So um, that is where we are today. That's why I don't look like Jeff. Um, and if you're like, who is that guy? That Now you know. So um, <clears throat> I promise I'm supposed to be here right now. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, in 1993, um, Nestor Alexander Hadaway, who was a Trinidadian-born uh, singer, um, was raised in the he was raised in the United States. He is then uh, he then moves to Germany at some point in his life, where he like runs a marketing company, a bunch of other stuff. But he continues to pursue music, and while he's there, uh, he uh, again he releases this album in the summer of 1993. Now, show of hands, who remembers exactly where they were in 1993? Yeah, okay, yeah. We don't have to raise hands, okay? Um, we don't need to do that. But 1993 was 30 years ago, okay? I just, I know that we know that in our hearts, but sometimes it feels like it wasn't uh, that long ago. But 1993, uh, Nestor Hadaway uh, releases this album. The album's lead single becomes a number one hit first in Europe. It is number one on the Eurochart Hot 100 for seven weeks that summer. Basically, all summer, it is the number one song on the radio, back when people listened to the radio. Uh, it becomes a, a worldwide hit, reaching number 11 in the United States, number 13, or excuse me, number one in 13 countries uh, around the globe. And it's eventually immortalized by Will Ferrell on SNL and is 
still a hit guaranteed to make any head bob the moment that it comes on. Anybody know what it is? Play it, Paul. <laughs> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Stop that. It's going to be stuck in your, I apologize for being stuck in your head for the rest of the week. Uh, uh, Paul had said that it was stuck in his head all week and then it got out and then I introduced it again today. So students, sorry about that. Actually, I'm not. Uh, that is an incredibly catchy tune still, isn't it, right? 30 years ago, still a really catchy tune, and it really um, it asks an existential question. What is love? A question that's plagued philosophers for centuries. What is love? And so surely our, our friend here, uh, Hathaway, had a good answer, right? A reason why he was uh, writing this song. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was trying to answer this really important question for us, right? Well, in 2015, he gave an interview where he said, people always ask me what I mean when I said, what is love? What is love needs to be defined by everyone by his own definition. It's unique and individual. For me, it has to do with trust, honesty, and dedication. <laughs> what is love? What does it mean? Well, for our buddy Hathaway, it's up to me and to you to define it. He doesn't really even know himself, does he? And this idea that love is whatever we want it to be is really the dominant uh, ethos of our day, right? Love is what, why, and how, and whatever we want it to be. <laughs> it's also with whoever we want it to be with, right? And that's why there's so much of it. There's, it's unrestricted. Love has been let out of its cage, which we would think is a good thing, right? There's more love than there has ever been. There's more affirmation, more acceptance than ever. And most people will tell you, that's awesome. That's so great. Except when we peel back the curtain a little bit, we see that maybe it's not as great as it seems. Because with all of this love, all of this acceptance, all of this affirmation, we are still not living in a utopia, are we? Things are still pretty bad. <laughs> All we have to do is turn on the evening news. In fact, we don't even have to turn on the evening news. We just have to open our phones. You don't even have to open your phone. The notifications come directly to you, right? All the time. And we don't have to go into all of this and talk about all the things that are wrong because we know what all of them are. But there's one that I think is particularly interesting that I want to highlight that has come up in the past couple of years, and it's this. It's this, uh, what sociologists call uh, the rise of deaths of despair. You may have heard this term. Alan Noble, who when he was here a few weeks ago, he talked about this, deaths of despair. What are these? Well, these are deaths related to drug and alcohol overdose and addiction and abuse, and as, as well as deaths related to mental illness. These are deaths that are totally avoidable. And yet, they're going up. So how could that be? How could there be so much love and so much more of horrible things, bad things like this? And again, deaths of despair are just one example of this. How can that be? Well, maybe it's because we're working from the wrong definition of love. Maybe love isn't what the world says it is. Maybe love isn't what we say it is. Right? 
And so we need to figure out what is love. Hadaway actually asks a very good question. <laughs> what is love? And so as Christians, what do we do in times like these when we have questions that we don't have answers to? What do we do? Well, we turn first and foremost to the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's holy word, right? That it's profitable for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that it is for all sorts of stuff. And so we turn the, to the Bible to see what it has to say about life's hard questions. And guess what? It answers this one. So as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to give you a little bit of context. Open your, uh, your Bible, your devices and stuff, and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to give you a little bit of context of where we're at, because that's important and helpful for us. In the previous chapters, Paul has been explaining to the Corinthians that they're all a part of one body. That's essentially chapter 12. All, they're all a part of one body, and as such, they should, they should use their spiritual gifts for the edification of each other. He tells them that they all have a role and a purpose to play. But there's something even more important than these gifts, something bigger and better and more impactful than any of the spiritual gifts by themselves or even grouped together. End of chapter 12, he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. What could be better than these gifts? Read with me 1 Corinthians 13, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, <clears throat> excuse me, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I've gained nothing. What is better than these gifts that Paul has just listed in chapter 12? Love. Love is better than any other gift that can be out there. Paul tells us that love is the most important thing that we can offer. Notice the things that he lists. It's how we speak. It's our words. It's our beliefs and our actions. We can say and believe and even do the right thing, but Paul says if it's rooted and grounded in the foundation of love, then it doesn't really matter a whole lot. It doesn't matter to us, and it doesn't really matter to other people either. And we know this to be true because we've experienced this, right? We've had a moment where we have said something probably not out of love, and it was the right thing to say, but it was not quite out of love, and we've completely stuck our foot in our mouth. Or maybe the opposite has happened. We've been in a situation where someone has said something to us and we, that just doesn't sit right with us. Why is that? Well, it's because it wasn't really coming from a place of love and care. <clears throat> so if love is so important, then we should definitely have a really good, clear definition of what it is, right? And like a good teacher, Paul, has kinda, Paul is going to give us a good definition right here. Verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What is love? This right here, verses four through seven, this is love. Paul gives us a really good, clear dictionary definition of what love is. 
We should note that all of these verses, excuse me, all of these things that he's listing here, they're not just feelings. They're not just things that we think. These are things that we do. These are actions. They're verbs. Let's walk through them really quickly because Paul does this thing where he explains what love is, but then he, we need to define like what each of these things are, right? So what is love? Love is patient. The idea here is more like long-tempered, right? We know people who are short-tempered. This person, love is patient. They are short-tempered. It's a person who has the right to be upset. They have been wronged in some way, but instead they choose to not be upset, to not be angry, but instead to be long-tempered, to be patient. Love is kind. Patience and kindness go together, don't they? It's hard to imagine someone who would be patient but not kind, right? And vice versa. And so, of course, these two church fathers wrote of this verse that love, he, he wrote that love is sweet to all. That's really what this means. <laughs> I love that. Love is sweet to all. Some of us are very sweet. This comes very easily to us, Right? Some of us, maybe not so much, but either way, our call is to be loving, to be kind. Patience and kindness, again, go together. Plenty of opportunities in the world to be mean, to be harsh, to be cruel, but but we are called to be the opposite of that, to be patient and in turn respond with kindness. Being kind is really hard. It's really, really hard, isn't it? Again, some of you are like, oh, this is not easy, but I want to acknowledge that for some of us, this is sometimes a difficult thing to do. So far, Paul has been speaking in the positive. He's now going to turn and tell us what love is not. Because sometimes it's easier to see positives by looking at the negatives. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not jealous of others, nor does it brag about what it's done for other people. Uh, you all, some of you all know, we have um, two kids under the age of five in our house, um, really four and a half. Um, and uh, but who's counting? Uh, and I, uh, and so sometimes I will be a really good husband, and I'll do something before my wife asks me to. Now this doesn't happen very often. Um, it doesn't happen as much as it should. I will tell you that much. Um, but. Uh, it does happen. And in those moments, I feel so proud of myself. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so proud. I know, and I can say this from this stage because I know dads and fathers and even uh, wives and mothers and all of us have this exact same feeling, right? Where we do something for someone before they ask, something that is so kind and loving, and uh, we know it. We know that what we've done awesome. I know that I'm finally deserving of the number one dad coffee mug that is sitting up there, right, in our, in our uh, pantry. And uh, in these moments, I walk back through the house, I walk back through the kitchen, and, uh, you know, uh, I say to my wife, hey, you know, that thing that you asked me to do, this is how I feel on the inside, just kind of like, you know, look at me, look what I did. Uh, I... I, uh, that thing you asked me to do, uh, well, I did that and I did this, right? I went above and beyond, right? Or this thing, you know, whatever it is um, that I was supposed to do like two weeks ago. It's easy. And meanwhile, my wife is making dinner while answering emails, 
teaching one kid how to write her name and making sure that the other kid is not climbing out of her, climbing out of her high chair, right? She's doing all of these things at once, and I'm just like, hey, look at me. Look at me. It's easy to want fortune and acclaim when we do something, isn't it? Right? It's easy. It's one of the easiest things to do. We want to be recognized for what we've done, but love isn't like that. It does not envy or boast. Real love is quiet. It is tender and meek. It works in secret. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. If love is patient and kind, it certainly is not arrogant or rude, right? It wouldn't insist upon itself. Paul tells the Philippians that they should not only look out for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. Love means caring for others first and foremost. Love is not irritable or resentful. What happens when love does not get its way? It does not throw a fit or a tantrum like a child, but instead it's excited for the other person. It's happy that the other person got what they wanted. How many of us can say that? That we're happy when other people get their way. It's a hard one. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Up until now, pretty much everything that has been said, most people would agree with. Sure, love looks a little different from culture to culture or person to person, but overall, this has been pretty straightforward stuff, right? That's why this chapter, this verse is, these verses are read at so many weddings. Even if people who aren't believers, this is read. Why? Because it rings true for all of us. But this section, this piece is a little different. Again, at first glance, it fits in with the rest, and of course, it certainly does. But in closer examination, there's something else deeper going on here that separates this love from all the other kind that's out there. Love rejoices with the truth. What is truth? Another question that's plagued philosophers for a long, long time. Stick around, and we'll keep just asking really hard philosophy questions. We are on a college campus, after all. <laughs> The question, what is truth? The question that's plagued philosophers for forever. But Jesus is really clear. I don't know why we keep asking what truth is. Jesus is really clear in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? Jesus is truth. Paul might as well have written here instead. He, might, he should have easily, he could have easily written, a love rejoices in Jesus. What does this mean for us? Well, it means that if it doesn't correspond to Jesus and what he said and what he taught, then it isn't really love. We talked earlier about how despite there being more love than ever, the world seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And this is at least one of the reasons why. Again, there's lots of them that are out there, but this is at least one of them. We affirm and accept and approve everything out there but the truth of Jesus and the life he offers us, and it is going to lead us into a really bad place. Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We think that we're being patient and kind with each other by just affirming everything, accepting everything, but actually we're just leading each other down a path of destruction. John 10 tells us, Jesus tells us that he came to give us life and life abundantly, but that Satan has come to 
to, he, he has come here to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus wants to give us abundant life if only we would rejoice in that with him. If only we would rejoice in him. And so what if instead of rejoicing in the wrong, we rejoice instead in the truth? What if instead of affirming our friends, our neighbors, our family members, harmful, sinful choices, we stood tall in the name of Jesus and in actual love told them the truth? What if we told them that their job was not going to bring about any more satisfaction in their life? That their obsession with social media was only going to create anxiety and depression in their lives? That there has never been a savior on Capitol Hill and they should stop looking for one? That the pressure they put on their kids to get a full ride to college or make the varsity team is, is too much. That their incessant gossip is going to rot their souls out. That their identity is not solely rooted in their sexuality or their gender, but in the fact that they are made in the image of God. What if we told people the truth? It's not just our friends and family that need to hear this, though, either. It's us. As Taylor Swift so eloquently says, we're the problem, right? She was right on that one. What if we looked in the mirror and had the courage to tell ourselves these things? What if instead of pursuing sin ourselves, we turned to Jesus who loves us and gave himself up for us and rejoiced in him and him alone? We're headed towards death, and it's not because we aren't patient and kind. If anything, we are, uh, we are overly patient and kind. It's not because we're envious or jealous of each other. Again, there's plenty of love and affirmation that's out there. We're headed in a wrong path. We're headed down the wrong way because we're rejoicing in the wrong things. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Friends, what do you rejoice in? Now, before we move on here, I want to be really, really clear. Uh, there are two ways to use the truth. I've heard this a long way back. It's always stuck with me. Hopefully, it will stick with you too. There are two ways that we can use the truth. One, we can use the tr truth like a surgeon's scalpel, right? Precise and sharp and cutting exactly as intended. Why? In order to bring about healing. Or we can use the truth like a meat cleaver, chopping it up and making a big, huge mess along the way. And so what I'm not advocating for, what Paul would not be advocating for, is to run up to people and yell at them, I love you, you're wrong, the Bible is right, I love you, and then run away. Don't do that. <laughs> what I'm saying, what Paul is saying, is that true love rejoices in the way of Jesus, and we should help others do the same. We should do it with patience and kindness and humility and all the things that Paul has listed here. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What makes love so great? It covers us, it protects us, it supports us, it believes the best in us. Even in the face of hardship, it hopes and endures against all odds. Love never ends. 
Verse 8 continues, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. On top of all of those other things that Paul just said, he goes on to tell us that love never ends. It continues forever. Prophecies and tongues and knowledge, they will someday pass away. Someday Christ will return. We will meet him in there and we will see and know and fully understand. And if that day doesn't come, if the Lord calls you home before then, you will be in heaven with him. And in that moment, you will see and know and be fully known. What a glorious day that will be, won't it? But love, love never ends. Even in heaven, long after this life and uh, this world have faded away, love remains. Why? Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why does love never fade? Why, when it's all said and done, when we see fully, when we see God face to face, why does love never end? It's because God is love. 1 John chapter 4, 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God is love. God is patient and kind. He is not irritable or resentful towards us, is he? He bears with us. He believes in us. He hopes for us. He endures with us. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who has been tempted in all ways. Love never fails because God never fails. This is why we sing, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Because when it's all said and done, God will be standing there like the father of the prodigal son saying, welcome home. Get in this house, put on this robe. He'll yell into the other room, kill the fatted calf because my son and my daughter are home. This is the kind of love that we are made for. This is what love is. This is the kind of love that we are made to experience first ourselves and then exhibit to the world. And when that doesn't happen, when we don't hide ourselves in God's love first and foremost, and then in turn share that with those around us, well, then this (laughs) is inevitable. How many of you, again, we don't have to show of hands here, but I bet this has happened in a room this size to more than a few of us. How many of you have ever put uh, diesel in a regular gasoline car? Yeah. Judging by the chuckles, I would say a decent amount of us. I've never done this, uh, but I did have a friend in high school who she did it twice. (laughs) She quickly earned the nickname Diesel. And that name did not fit her at all, which is what made it the perfect nickname. 
What happens when you put diesel in a regular gasoline car? Well, uh, your first instinct would be to say, well, that it, will, it'll, it won't run at all, right? It's got the wrong kind of fuel in it. But that's not actually what happens. What happens is that it does run for a little bit. It runs fine for a season, right? Not super long. <laughs> it'll get you down the road a couple of miles, probably, depending upon your car. But eventually, it will die out. It'll run. Why? Oh, because it's, it's not made to run on that kind of fuel. God has designed us for a certain kind of life, a life, that, uh, a life of flourishing, a life that can only be found in and through him. As Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And this world is an absolute mess, at least in part. Again, it's not the only reason. I want to be clear about that. A lot of it is just our own sinfulness. But it's also simply because we have tried to define love as something outside of God and his design for us. It's not working. And as we've seen, the car is seizing up and slowly pulling over to the side of the road, isn't it? Defining love and life outside of God's design for humans only leads to ruin. Jesus tells us that the gate that leads to destruction is wide and easy, but the narrow gate which leads to life is there too. And as we read earlier, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. Jesus offers a life of flourishing and joy and abundance that can only be found in him. So, how do we apply this? <laughs> what do we do with this information? Again, we read earlier, it doesn't really matter if we have a lot of uh, info in our heads and we don't do something with it, something loving in common. What do we do with this information? Well, as we wrap up this morning, there are, I think there are two things from 1 Corinthians 13 that are important for us to know and remember and keep in mind. The first is simply this, the thing that we've already talked about, is that God is love. And God wants a relationship with you. And that might be hard to believe because of what you have said or done or thought or believed. And maybe it's hard to believe because of what others have said or done or thought towards you. You think that God can't love you, that he won't love you, that you are broken beyond repair, that you are irredeemable and impossible to love. Well, the good news of the gospel is that the impossible has already happened. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't need to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. I don't know where you are, but I guarantee you on some level there is inside of you some sort of belief that's like, hey, I need to do better. I need to pick myself up. I need to clean myself up. I need to do this or do that. You don't. Jesus loves you just as you are. Come and accept his free gift of abundant life. And Christians, that's for you too. 
because we so easily think that we need to earn his love. Yes, he is. We've accepted that free gift, but we need to continue to earn that. And yes, it's true that there is sanctification, that we do need to continue to grow in our faith, but you don't earn God's love. He's just going to give it to you. It's yours. Reach out your hand and take it. As 1 John 4 told us, abide in his love. Our second thing here is this. We shouldn't miss the fact that chapter 13 comes in the middle of a larger section of the book where Paul is encouraging Christians to practice their gifts. He wants them to practice their spiritual gifts and serve each other. <clears throat> this exhortation to, to practice a more excellent way is not really about loving the world. Yes, the principles certainly apply, and we want to follow them, and we want to do them. We want to release love from the neighborhoods to the nations, but Paul's call to never-ending, boundless love full of patience and kindness and humility and joy is first and foremost to Christians inside the walls of the church. That's who this letter is too. Jesus tells us that people will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. How are you doing in that regard? Probably be, could be some room for improvement, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and so uh, you're probably thinking, well, how do, I do that? how do I love people better? Where do I start? Great question. Two places you can start. One, get in a small group. I'm going to tell you things that we say every week. <laughs> One, get in a small group. It's really hard to love others if you aren't in community, right? The person, the hermit living by himself on a mountain only has to be concerned with himself. We need to be in community with each other to, known, to be known and to know others. That is where we can practice love. Join a small group today. They just started. It's a perfect time to get involved. The second thing is to join a serve team. Practice love by making coffee, by running slides, by playing a game with kids or students, by running, helping run sound, or joining the prayer team on Thursdays, or any number of other things that are going on in and around. Practice love and patience and kindness by serving other people. And we've got easy on-ramps to make that happen through serve teams. In many ways, 1 John 4 is the parallel passage to this. Ooh. 1 John 4 is the parallel passage to this. It tells us not just what love is, but where love comes from. And I would encourage you to go back and read it. It's really, really good stuff. I think it sums up well here as we wrap up. Beloved, this is chapter, 1 John 4, chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is love? Is love. That love with us, let's share it with other people too. Let's pray. Father, you are...
as we sang earlier, you are a, a, a way maker. You made a, a way for us to know and to experience love. And I pray for us that we would abide in you. That we would that we, we, we would be burdened by the fact that you love us. That we would love others, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of joy. Because we know what has been done for us. We love because you first loved us. God, help us to accept this free gift that you give us. May we lean into that. Hide in you. We ask all this in your son's name, the name of Jesus. Amen.